Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. The title of my message tonight, I told you I was going to talk about intimacy, but this is an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation. You know that God is constantly inviting us to come deeper with Him. And I know sometimes when you hear the words intimate, deeper, it's like, oh man, does that mean we got to sit around and lay on the carpet for hours? Does that mean I have to do more? No, it is an invitation to a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Father. I want to make sure that in my life, when somebody invites me to something that's good for me, that I respond to that. I keep telling people, if you invite me to something on Facebook, no offense, I'm probably not going to respond to it. I don't know where to find my Facebook invitations to events that happen. So if you're planning an event and you want me to come, shoot me a text, I'll respond to it. But I, ju- I can't figure it out. And I, I just think there's this invitation out there that I keep missing, I keep ignoring. And I sometimes think that there's this invitation the Father has for us to walk more intimately, more deeper with Him, that somehow we just keep missing. I actually want to help us with that. I want to go through some parts of Scripture where you'll see this invitation that God has for us. Now, here's the thing about an invitation. If I invite you to a party that I'm having at my house and you don't come, that's not the end of our relationship. It just means that you missed out on something we did that was a lot of fun. But it doesn't mean you're not my friend anymore, right? It just means maybe I'm... So when God is inviting us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with Him, if we don't respond to it, it's not like He kicks us out of the family. He doesn't unfriend us. He, in fact, keeps inviting and inviting and inviting us to come deeper with Him. Not because He doesn't think we're deep enough or you need more... It's because he loves us. He, this is sound crazy to a lot of you, he wants to spend time with you. He likes you. He doesn't just love you because he's God. He actually really likes you. He wants to walk more intimately with you. But he's gone as far as you can possibly go. He went to the cross. He even went to hell so that people could be rescued out of that to have this level of intimacy with him. But it's an invitation. You know, Jesus had several levels of relationship. I think when you looked, when Jesus was on the earth, you see these kind of levels of intimacy or levels of relationship he had with people. And I think if you were to look at your life, you'd find that most of my relationships fall within some kind of a, a level. Like I can't be intimate with everybody, right? So when you look at Jesus, he had this relationship with a lot of different levels. He fed 5,000 people, right? And then he fed 4,000 people, two separate occasions, same miracle, two different numbers. That's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. I don't think that anybody that was following Jesus that day who forgot to bring lunch and found themselves in a place of, oh man, I didn't bring lunch and all the stores are closed And then he just randomly feeds you with five loaves and two fish. I don't think anybody there would say, 
There's no relationship here. The relationship that I have with Jesus is based upon I had a need and he met it. That is a level of relationship. There were 5,000 people that had that level of relationship. It was a crowd, but yet I encountered Jesus and I was affected by this encounter with Jesus. But I don't think you'd say the 5,000 had an intimate relationship with him, did they? No. Thank you for your response. That's great. Jesus had crowds that followed him everywhere. And there's a level of relationship that a crowd can have with Jesus. Oh, I wonder if he's going to do that this week. Hey, last week, a blind guy, <laughs> you're not going to get this. He spit in the dirt, created mud, put it on this guy's eyes. He washed it, and he was healed of his blindness. Wonder if he's going to do that this week, or is he going to do something a little bit different? There was crowds that followed him. They had a measure of a relationship with him. They were impacted by his teaching. They... Those that sat when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, trust me, there was a relationship that was there. There was a connection that was there. But maybe you wouldn't describe that as intimate. Jesus had 70 different individuals that he sent out at one point in time as ministers. He sent them out, 70. Like he said, come here, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you some stuff, and then you're going to go out and minister. That's a little bit of a deeper level of relate. Wait, we're going to do ministry now? Hang on, this was the Jesus show, and now we're, we're going to go out and do this. Yeah, that's a deeper level of relationship, isn't it? Then you have his support crew. You know, Jesus had um, mostly women that were following him, supporting the ministry. They were working, doing jobs, and providing financially for the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. That'll ruffle a lot of feathers. Trust me, they had a deeper level of relationship with Jesus than just the crowds that followed him. Then he has his 12 disciples. Imagine walking with Jesus for three years, seeing all of the miracles. They're always with him. <laughs> I love it that even the disciples, some, they never seem to get it. Do you notice that? No matter what Jesus said, right when they're like, okay, I feel like I just caught up. And then, boom, he goes, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And they're like, would you hang on? Oh, my gosh. I had a cycling illustration, but I'm not going to say it because nobody cycles in here. And I'll confuse you all back away from the cycling illustrations. This is my inner monologue, if you're wondering. So he has these disciples. Boy, that's a pretty cool relationship. Like he handpicked them. A tax collector, hey, come follow me. A couple of fishermen, leave everything you know and come follow me. Do you know the kind of relationship you have when you know you've left everything to be there? It's called marriage, by the way. Like that level of connection that's created when you know you've left everything to be with one person. That's pretty cool. But then even within his disciples, he had this inner three. James, Peter, James, and John. There was moments when he pulled them aside and said, hey, would you come pray with me? So even within the 12, there's a deeper level of intimacy he's developing with the three. And even within the three, there's one who's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's John. It seems like there's this special relationship that John has that's even different to the inner three. Of course, John was the one who wrote the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
And if you have two sons that are two years apart, you'll understand. I got a Father's Day card from my kids, and I loved it because it, you can tell um, you're, you're the parent of two sons who are two years apart. When one said, I love you, Dad, Liam, and the other one said, I love you more, Jai. And Jai wrote, Jai goes, Dad, I wrote mine before Liam wrote his because he knew what Liam was going to write. Maybe that's what John did in that moment. I don't know. But he had a level of intimacy that was even different to the other three. And I'm going to show you what that looked like in a little bit. But here's what I want you to see. We are all invited, all of us, you, me, even the person sitting next to you, we are invited into an intimate relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want you to know about him. He doesn't just want you to follow him. He desires an intimate relationship with you. And I mean an intimacy that would even transcend the relationship I would have with my wife or with my kids. Now let me ask you something. When I say that, that Jesus desires an intimate relationship with you, what just welled up in your heart? Was it yes? Or did you find that fear welling up? Yeah, but if I'm intimate, they really know what's here. I have to bring a wall down for intimacy and If he sees what's behind this wall, I don't think he'll want to be intimate with me anymore. When I say that Jesus wants this intimate relationship with you, did the first thought pop in your head? I don't even know what that is because I've never really had that before. Those are some things we're going to deal with tonight. And I believe you're going to get set free and you're going to experience the intimacy that God has created you for. Intimacy with Jesus is heaven now. And that's God's desire for us. Heaven's not the place we go when we die. Heaven is here now. Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when his kingdom is here, we can have heaven on earth. You ever hear that expression when somebody dies? Oh, they went to be with Jesus. You ever heard that expression? Hey, when I die, I'm not going to be with Jesus. I'm continuing with Jesus because I have him here with me now. The intimate relationship that I have now just continues for eternity. But if we think the intimacy with Jesus only happens when we die, you're going to spend a lifetime on this earth ripped off from the level of relationship that God wants for you. Heaven starts now. Eternity starts now. The moment you made a decision to follow Jesus, the moment you surrendered your heart, eternal life began right then, not when you die. When you die, you just transcend from one world to the next. But your intimacy and your walk with Jesus can happen right now. Now, that's the promise. John 10.10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. He's not saying, I've come to give you life when you die. I've come to give it to you right now. I left heaven to come to you 
I am with you now. Well, didn't he ascend into heaven and leave everybody? Yes, but he didn't leave us alone because something came after that. We'll get to that in a minute. I can't wait to get to it. Have a look with Mark chapter 15, verse 25. I want to show you this moment in Scripture when Jesus went to the cross. Because I think this is probably the perfect snapshot of what these levels of intimacy look like based on some of the people in this story. So if you, you can look up on the screens with me or uh, grab one of the Bibles out of your pews or on your phone, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to read. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land. One of the other gospels, by the way, says how one of them is heaping insults on him, one of the people crucified with him, and the other one said, stop doing that. He's done no wrong. Will you remember me? Do you know that story? And Jesus says to that thief, you'll be with me today in paradise. Do you know that story? That's in another gospel. Just want to didn't want to mix and match Gospels to confuse you, but I might just have. Um, that'll throw a monkey wrench in the whole sinner's prayer thing, won't it? Anybody ever say, raise your hand, pray this prayer after me? God, remember me? Okay, you're good. That's what that guy did. All right, I'm going to leave that one there. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus, heard this cry and saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the son of God. You see, we see a couple of different people in this story. And I want to have a look at John now. We're going to flip over to another gospel. John chapter 19, because it gives us another picture of a couple of people who were there. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, don't call your mom that. Woman, here's your son. I just, no one, you didn't get that. I'll just keep moving on. Woman, here is your son, and the disciple here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. I think we see... A few levels of intimacy here. 
But I want you to see that Jesus is inviting all of them into this intimate relationship. James 4 verse 8 says, Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That kind of shows you how you draw near, by the way. <clears throat> I don't want to come near to God and show Him all the great stuff I've done. doesn't kind of work that way. In fact, the Bible says all those things are like filthy rags when you're standing in front of a righteous God. Right? But when we come with a humble heart, when we come to repent, then we're drawing near, and He draws near to us. But there's a couple of people we see in this story. I think one of the first people we see are the passers-by. They said there were several people that just passed by on the road. These passers-by, because crucifixion was not like an uncommon thing, thieves were crucified all the time. It was Rome's way of saying, this is what happens when you defy Rome. This is a picture of what your rebellion looks like against the forces of darkness. And the enemy will do that to us, won't it? He'll always try to show you a picture of what your future will be if you resist the devil. Which, by the way, it's a lie because he's the father of lies. That's not what your future looks like because I'm not on the cross. Jesus is. But those who pass by, there are always people like that. They're just passing by. They see the sacrifice that Jesus made. They see what Jesus is doing, but they're passing by. They're never going to stop they're never going to stay. And you see people like this, that when they approach Jesus, they want to draw near to Jesus like James says, but they're drawing near with a checklist. They're going, this is what I need my Jesus to do. My Jesus needs to have the songs that I like. My Jesus has to get me rich. My Jesus needs to heal my marriage. My Jesus needs to heal my body. He, here's my checklist. And they're coming with a list. And if Jesus doesn't check every box, I'm passing by. And the reason they're passing by is because they have all of these expectations that are left unmet because they don't realize this is not about you getting the things you think you need. This is a relationship. This is intimacy. And he's inviting you in. They like the idea of revival. They like the idea of streams of living water flowing from me, but they want it at a discount. They're price shopping. So if I surrender this part of my heart, then I'll be blessed in this area. Yes. But I can still hold on to this stuff, right? Like I can, I can get the blessing of God, but it comes at a discount. In other words... I can give financially and I'll be blessed, but can I still hold on to my anger? Well, yeah, but that's not going to develop intimacy. Well, I'll go to the church. I'll go to the Jesus. I'll even go to the religion that doesn't ask too much of me. The price is less and I'm promised much greater. The problem is that's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is that when we give Jesus our all, he gives us his all. And you can't get a partial Holy Spirit. You can't get halfway saved. It's all or it's none. Does that make sense? 
the passers-by. You know, there was a tremendous revival that happened in Toronto, in a place called the Toronto Christian Fellowship. If you ever study revival history in America, there's probably, that's, sorry, that's Canada, isn't it? Um, close enough, same thing. They got an NBA team. They're half American, so it's good. But there have been three great revivals in North America. One was Azusa Street in California in the turn of the century. Was that 20s, 30s? What was that? 1906. Um, followed much later in the 80s in Toronto, which then led to Brownsville in Florida. And there was this incredible revival. If you ever want to study revival history, I would really encourage you to start with the Azusa Street Revival. There's some great books about that. Um, but Toronto was the place in our lifetime that saw this tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and great revival. And people were coming from all over the world to Toronto. It was called the Toronto Blessing. And, I mean, supernatural, incredible healings regularly, people getting touched by the Holy Spirit, all the gifts being manifest. It was just unbelievable. They were having meetings every single night for three, three years. Church every night. Not like hey, you're on roster, you got to come, but people kicking down the door to get in every night for three straight years, right? Incredible revival. And people came from all over the world. But a lot of those people I know who came to check it out, they came and were like, this is cool, this is awesome, this is amazing. And they left exactly the same as they came in. Because they missed that the reason the outpouring was happening is because God desired the intimacy with his sons and his daughters. He was drawing people near so that they could receive the fullness of the Godhead and then be sent out. But when a passerby comes, they could have gone to every night meeting for three years. This is hard to see in church life sometimes and be a part of everything but only be observing, but never responding to the invitation to get deeper with God. But in that revival, I can tell you of four people that went, that you had never heard of prior to this, but they responded to the call of intimacy to come deeper. They surrendered everything that was in their heart, everything they thought about ministry was all about, and submitted their hearts to Jesus and got filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and were not passers-by, but they developed a level of intimacy. Randy Clark was one of those. Bill Johnson was one of those who now pastors Bethel Church in Reading, which is probably, I think, the next greatest place of revival that's happening, uh, one of, in a church, local church setting in the world. Uh, Heidi Baker, who's doing amazing things in Mozambique, uh, if you don't hear, know who these people are, don't worry about it. Leif Hetland, who's doing work in the Muslim world and has led, I think, a million Muslims to Jesus. That all came out of Toronto. They were in the same meetings. So what's the difference? Well, God obviously anointed them more than they did everybody else. Well, obviously they had giftings that were different. No, no, no. They responded to an invitation to intimacy from the Holy Spirit. Jesus invites passers-by into a relationship of intimacy. If you find yourself in that passer-by spirit, and I'm not talking about passing by a church. I'm talking about passing by the 
invitation of intimacy to Jesus. He still invites you in. There's another group. It was the chief priests and the teachers. The chief priests and the teachers. And it says they mocked him among themselves. Now, these chief priests and teachers, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were sold out and well-versed to the old system of doing ministry. They knew it. It was working for them. This old system where we're the priest, you come to us for everything that you need, and then we'll go to God, and then we'll tell you what God says. That was the old system, and it was working for them because they were the high class of society. They, people looked at them and were like, man, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the teachers, wow, they were the rock stars, the LeBron Jameses, I guess Zion Williamson now, of the day. They were the ones that everybody looked to. And it was working for them on earth. But what was working for them on earth was sending them to hell. Because Jesus looked at them and said, all of your righteousness is like filthy rags. So when they see the invitation to intimacy, and when they see Jesus on the cross, they only see the sacrifice, but they can't see the power. What a loss. That guy could have been something. If he followed our way of doing things, he might have been the greatest rock star that this nation had ever seen. Maybe even he would have been remembered. Maybe they would have built a temple or a synagogue after him at some point in time. But now look at him. He blew it. If he only did things the way we did them, he would have been successful. And that's what that spirit does. It can't see the power and the sacrifice. They can come to the cross, but they can't come through the cross. Because to come through the cross means leaving all of the old behind. And the old was working. You know what's hard to do? Is to get rid of something that's working. But when God gives you a new scoreboard, suddenly what was working isn't working anymore. Because you're building things in this world. And the God, God's saying, no, no, no. It's not building things in this world. It's building things for the next world. You could build for this world be really successful and miss God and go to hell for eternity, or you can spend this life building for the next and still get some of the great stuff of this world, but have an eternity of intimacy with Jesus. That's why Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet lose his very soul? You see, the cross demands an exchange. You have to crucify the old to receive the new. It's like I said before, if I take my old car and I wash it in detail and clean it, it looks clean, but it's still old. It's still the same car. It's not going to sell for any more than it was when it was dirty. I need a new car, right? Jesus wants to make us new. In Luke chapter 5, verse 37, thanks guys, Luke 5, 37, it says, in Luke 5, 37, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No. New wine. What does that word say? New wine. New wine. 
You can say it really loud. I'll give you full permission to say it as loud as you want. New wine must. It must be poured into new wineskins. It must. There's no taking out the oil and the water and massaging the old wineskins and stretching them out and making the old good again. It's a new wineskin. The whole principle here is you can't take the old system of doing things and make it work with new wine. Sometimes we get stuck in old mindsets. We try to fit God into our box and our checklists and this is how I know God to work. And God's going, no, I want to do a new thing. You can't come to the cross and be half in. You can't nail one hand to the cross. It takes both hands, both feet, that we've been crucified with Christ. And if you want to come to the cross, you've got to come through the cross. To be a recipient of the new wine, to walk in the intimacy with Jesus that He is inviting us to, it requires us to be made new. We have to be a new wineskin. Can you see that? But the chief priests couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. I can't get rid of something that seems to work, even when the writing's on the wall, that in the end, it's going to count for nothing. You want to know what scares me, what keeps me up at night sometimes, is I don't want to make sure I don't have anything in my life that I'm building now that's working that won't have any impact for eternity. I don't want to build something for this world. I don't want to have my life pouring everything I am to something that's just going to go up in flames. I want to pour my life into things that will go through eternity. And those things are only things built on the kingdom. Not things that are built on the kingdom of Clayton. Not things that are built on the kingdom of Seashore Church. It's things that are built on the kingdom of God. But this is how we've always done things. Let me tell you, A great question from one of the greatest prophets you'll ever hear. His name is Dr. Phil. How's it working out for you? You ever heard him say that? But we've always done it this way. How's it working out for you? You know the answer to that question is? What fruit have you seen from that? In other words, if the product of the way you've been doing things is anything other than love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, it ain't working out for you. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When you're Spirit-filled and Spirit-led, your decisions, your choices, your way of doing things should be bearing that fruit. And if it's not, then it's not working. How's it working out for you? The chief priests, it seemed like it was working out, but everybody around them was like, I don't want to mess up. And what was happening is these chief priests were having their ego built up, but yet sending people to hell. They mocked Jesus because they couldn't see the power and the sacrifice, only the cost. Here's what I want you to hear. (laughs) Jesus invites chief priests into a relationship of intimacy. They're still there. Right in front of them is the answer to what ails them. And they have an invitation. The next crew we see is those crucified with him. 
And you've got one on each side. These guys are suffering the results of their past. They're living in the consequence of their own sin. They deserve what they got. Jesus did not. And the truth is, we all are a product of our past. Every past decision that you've made, you are a product of that. Every past decision your parents made in raising you, you're a product of that. So you are living in the result of all of your choices that you made leading up to this day. Right up until the moment that you give your heart to Jesus. And then guess what? You are not a product of your past anymore. Because you know what your past did? It got buried with Christ. You're a new creation. So here you have two thieves suffering in the results of their past. But they are invited into a relationship of intimacy. And one chooses to hurl insults at them. They see the invitation. But for one reason or another, they project all of their stuff onto Jesus. You're the reason that I'm here. And yet another one sees that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. You see, wages are earned. They were earning their wages. But yet in front of them was a gift that was free. One of these robbers refused that gift and threw it back in Jesus' face. And one of the robbers received that gift. I'm going to close on this. I'm going to have to finish the rest of this. We'll go through the rest of them another week. I, uh, there's two men I was thinking about when I was writing this. And uh, the first guy, he was the father of a friend of mine who didn't want anything to do with God. And I remember, this was quite a while ago, this guy's son, so, who was a Christian, so long for his father to meet Jesus and to respond to this invitation of intimacy that he would have me, we would go play golf with his dad at like 6.30 in the morning in Ocean View. I don't know. Whew. That's early. But we would go play golf together just so it's another Christian that could get with his dad and maybe, maybe something in the conversation would lead his dad to want to repent of this thing and he so longed for his dad to, to, to know Jesus like he did. And unfortunately, his dad got sick, was in the hospital for a little while. I'd say, would you, come, would you come talk to my dad? Several times I'd come, and I was like, yeah. And his dad was dying. He knew his dad was dying. I said, I've been telling him about Jesus, and he just doesn't want to hear it. Would you give it a shot? I said, yeah, man, absolutely. I'm going to come talk to your dad about Jesus. And I remember sitting next to him. By this time, he was having trouble talking. But I'm not sitting next to this man who's well past me in years and life experience and everything. And I'm not telling him, you're a sinner. You gotta give your, you're going to go to hell. If you, no, I'm saying, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He created you to be loved. He created you to know him. 
And he wants you to know how much he loves you. And he's inviting you into this relationship. All it takes is for you to acknowledge him and to confess your sins and he'll forgive you. You know your time is short. Would you want to do this? I went back several times. And every single time, this man hardened his heart and refused to submit till I watched him die. And I looked at the face of his son, thinking, how does that happen? How do you have this gift in front of you and just refuse it? Now, the truth of the matter is, no one knows what happens in a man's heart in those brief moments before they die, what they see, what they respond to. The encouragement from the thief on the cross is God's much more a reader of our heart than he is a listener of our lips. A couple years later, I had another friend of mine whose dad was in a similar position, led a similar lifestyle. And his dad was dying. And on his deathbed, same call. Clayton, would you come talk to my dad? I've been trying to tell him about Jesus, but this guy's been running from God all of his life. Made horrible decisions. And he's actually dying of cirrhosis. This is a result of his past. And it's finally caught up to him. He's only got a little while to live. I've been praying over him. I've been talking to him about Jesus but he just doesn't want anything to do with it. But I feel a tug. I feel a wrestle happening inside of him, and I don't know what to do. I said, yeah, man, let's go do this together. So I remember standing over his father and praying over this man, praying for his healing, but also knowing that this might be his time. But as I'm praying, I'm feeling this wrestle. I'm feeling this I want to, but I've got all this stuff pulling me the other way. What if this doesn't work out? What if I make this commitment and I'm wrong? What if Buddha really was God? I could feel all these wrestles inside of him. Yeah, the Bible says it is the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. And so I just start telling him, God really loves you. And I know you've made some poor choices in your life. And I know that right now some of these things that you're suffering are a result of your choices. Because he's told me that. But all that can change in a moment. And I told him about the thief on the cross. I said, here's a man that was breaths away from death. And all he did was cry out to God. Jesus read his heart. And that man's in heaven today. And by this point, this man's father couldn't talk. He could move his lips, but you couldn't really hear what he was saying. And I sat there. It was just me, this man, and his son. And I said, all it takes is a surrender. Would you respond to this invitation to intimacy? And this man opened his eyes and said, help me, Jesus and died.
Now I know that at least one of those men I'm going to see in heaven. Because it only takes a moment of surrender, of saying, Jesus, help. Because in those few words, there is confession of sin, there is repentance, there is a surrender, there is a heart poured out before God, but it just happened in a second. And he stepped into an intimacy with God that he never knew existed while he was here on this earth. But he is spending eternity with Jesus. I'm praying that somewhere in that story the other man did too. I don't know. But I know I didn't hear it with my ears. I want to encourage you that whether you're a chief priest, whether you're a centurion, whether you're a passerby, the invitation into intimacy is always available to you. You don't have to wait till you're lying on your deathbed to finally give in. You don't have to wait till you've got everything else in life figured out, till you feel like you can put on a good face in front of everybody else and show them how spiritual you are. It just takes a, Jesus, help me. But responding to this invitation of Jesus... There's some requirements, and it's not just to come to the cross, but it's to come through it. You know, Jesus said it's easier for a rich man, sorry, it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. He's not saying rich people can't go to heaven. He's saying unless you drop everything, and unless you're willing to leave it all, you're never going to really experience the intimacy that God has intended for you. I'm not giving you an invitation. I'm hopefully tonight just making you aware that there's one sitting on the table. And the receiving of that invitation is done very simply. That's repentance. God, I leave my past behind. And I want to receive this invitation to walk deeper with you. The development of this intimacy, this is the hard part. It's forgiveness. What blocks people more from walking intimately with Jesus is not a lack of an invitation or even a lack of desire. It's that we are still needing to forgive another human being or human beings before we can walk with him. Forgiveness is important to Jesus because if we want to receive his forgiveness, we have to forgive others. So as we close, I'm going to ask you to just, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now. Thank you, Jesus. And in this moment, there's an invitation for you. For some of you, it's just repenting of your sin, which just means, God, I give you my old life. I leave it behind and I follow you. If that's you tonight, just, just say that in your own words. Just say, Jesus, I leave my past behind. I confess to you all of my sin. I give it to you.
and I receive your gift of forgiveness and salvation. But for some to develop the level of intimacy, you know, just because you're married doesn't mean you have intimacy with your spouse. That needs to be built. Same thing with Jesus. Just because you made a decision, prayed a prayer, doesn't mean that you're walking in the intimacy that he wants with you. And if you want to step into that level of intimacy, it's going to require you to forgive others. There's a whole parable Jesus told here that I don't have time to get into tonight, but I'll show it to you in the next couple of weeks. But this is what I want you to do. If you desire that level of intimacy, I want you right now to picture the Father. Our Father God. Just picture Him in your head right now. Whatever that looks like to you. And I want you to ask Him, Father God, is there anyone who I need to forgive? Ask Him yourself. Is there anyone I need to forgive? And whoever just popped into your head as I said that, just say, God, I forgive them. Right now, say it. It doesn't have to be out loud. You can do it in your head. It's okay. Just forgive them. God, I forgive them for hurting me. God, I forgive them for abandoning me. I forgive them for not protecting me. I forgive them for abusing me. I forgive them for forgetting me. I forgive them for walking away from me. There may be several people. Just keep going. Keep going. The intimacy with Jesus is dependent upon your willingness and ability to forgive right now. Just keep doing it. God, I forgive them. God, I forgive them. Father, I forgive them. Jesus is nailed to the cross. And he looks out over the ones who put him there. And he says, Father, forgive them. In a lot of ways, Jesus is saying, because he said, I and the Father are one. It's the same as him saying, God, sorry. It's the same as Jesus saying, Father, I forgive them. Because he knew what intimacy with the Father looked like. And God is inviting us to the same intimate relationship with him that Jesus had with the Father. Just keep forgiving. Father, is there anybody else? I'm not going to tell you who to forgive. Let the Father God tell you, is there anybody else I need to forgive? And anybody he brings up, come on, give it to him. I forgive. I forgive. How many times? 70 times 7. Just keep forgiving. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing right now in our hearts. And I thank you for the intimacy, Lord, that you want with us, that you have adopted us as your sons and your daughters, that you don't leave us as orphans, you don't leave us abandoned, you don't even leave us hurt. But you're inviting us to the cross again, to take those things through the cross, to take them through the eye of the needle. And anything that doesn't fit has got to stay behind. 
God, we're leaving our past behind. We are in the new wineskin, ready for your new wine. And we want to walk in relationship and intimacy with you. So close, so close, no distance between us. Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I know that's a little bit long tonight. I kind of apologize for that. Listen, he wants this for you. That forgiveness thing is a lifestyle. Do you know this weekend, I asked that same question of the Father. I said, is there anybody I need to forgive? You know what happened? The same person popped in my head that happens every single time I pray that prayer. And I went, man, how many times is this going to keep cropping up? I forgave them, and I'm good. But right when I, a couple weeks later, something happens, and you get triggered, and you're like, ugh. And then I said, Father, is there some lie that I've believed that's attached to this? And the Father tells me, you still think you need their approval. I went, oh. Well, I renounced that lie. Would you speak your truth to me? What do you have in exchange for the lie? It's a conversation I'm having with the Father. And in the spirit, I watched him give me an apple. I like apples, but I'm like, what is that, Father? What am I supposed to do with that? And he said, I just picked this from the tree of life. Now that you've broken the lie, you can eat from the tree of life. And not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as soon as I did, I said, oh, Father, is there anybody else I need to forgive? And someone else popped into my head. It's the first time I prayed that prayer that somebody else popped in my head. I'm like, there's a side of me that's like, what else is there? And I'm like, yeah, somebody new. This is great. And I was like, I forgive them too. Who's next? No, that's it. You're good. Really? But I realized I couldn't move on because I got stuck. I kept forgiving, but there was a lie that was attached to it. And I had to let the Father speak truth to the lie that I had believed so that I could move on. And the level of intimacy that gets developed when we make this a lifestyle and a habit is huge. It's huge. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.